Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Heart of Iron by Beck McMaster. This was published in 2013 and is the second book in the London Steampunk series. So you may remember in October we read the first book in the series, Kiss of Steel, which introduced us to this alternate universe, Victorian London, where the ton is called the Echelon, and they are all vampires. Mm-hmm. And we kind of loved the world, and so we were like, let's read the whole series. Why not, you know? And, you know, I'm definitely glad we're doing that. That said... Beck McMaster is a prolific writer. This is a long book. This book is really long. So we just want to let you know it's really long. There may be some text exchanges that end up posted that are just Meg and I complaining at each other. So. That said, there are some things, there are some really great parts about this book. There really are some, some good scenes and some well-written things that I think are very interesting, which we will get to. Absolutely, but we should probably start with the jacket. Let's let's do it. In Victorian London, if you're not a blue blood of the echelon, then you're nothing at all. The great houses rule the city with an iron fist, imposing their strict blood taxes on the nation, and the queen is merely a puppet on a string. Lena Todd makes the perfect spy. Nobody suspects the flirtatious debutante could be a sympathizer for the humanist movement haunting London's vicious blue-blood elite. Not even the ruthless Will Carver, the one man she can't twist around her little finger, and the one man whose kiss she can't forget. Stricken with the loop, and considered little more than a slave without a collar to the blue-bloods, Will wants nothing to do with the echelon or the dangerous beauty who drives him to the very edge of control. But when he finds a coded letter on Lena, a code that matches one he saw on a firebombing suspect, he realizes she's in trouble. To protect her, he must seduce the truth from her. With London on the brink of revolution, Lena and Will must race against time and an, autom- and an automaton army to stop the humanist plot before it's too late. But as they fight to save a city, the greatest danger might just be to their heart. This is not a good jacket. Yeah, it's not great. I I mean, I get that it's hard to describe what you're going to get because it is alternate universe steampunk London with vampires and werewolves. Plus, like, a ton of plot on top of that. But once again, this is not emphasizing the things I would emphasize. I agree. It doesn't mention the werewolf delegation from Scandinavia. Which Which is the most important part of this book. (laughs) Yes, and I do realize that I just said that I'm upset that it didn't mention the werewolf delegation from Scandinavia. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, but total straight face. Then I cracked up, but yeah. She also doesn't really know she's a spy. Yeah, she doesn't know she's a spy. She she knows that she wants to help out the humanists. She's a humanist sympathizer. But yeah, she doesn't know that she's 
spying. All she's really doing, to her knowledge, is currying some letters. Right. Like, she's really low down on the totem pole. This idea that she's, like, a frontliner for revolution is super inaccurate. Yeah. And he doesn't decide to seduce the truth from her. No, like, that's the last thing he wants to do. That's the opposite of what he wants to do. And I think, like, also... They're not racing against the automaton army to stop the humanist plot. Literally. Like, they do not ever make that decision. They actually see what the humanists are up to and basically decide, leave us the fuck alone. Yeah, they're like, okay, you guys want to do that? That's cool. We want no part of it. Yeah. All right. As as usual, we wrote our own summaries. We base these summaries on a random number between 1 and 50. And for this episode, our random number was 29. So take it away, Lane. Will's been staying away from Lena, so he doesn't make her a werewolf. But they're stuck working together on a treaty, and she gets kidnapped. So obviously lust ensues. Uh, Totally. Like, obviously. Obviously. All right, here's mine. High society privilege and politics can lead to revolution from the lower classes. When high society equals vampires and lower class equals humans, you'd better bet I'd go for the werewolf. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, super rational on this part. Uh, totally. Like, I'm not even kidding. Obviously. Uh, obviously go for the werewolf. <laughs> so one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this book is just how contagious. Mm-hmm werewolfism is yes i yes i agree very interesting um which was frustrating on some levels but like especially in contrast to the way vampirism was handled in the first book i thought it was a really unique and interesting choice the here's the thing with pigment master she obviously has this really great like very big imagination that manages to distill these ideas that make total sense when she describes them. You're like, Oh, okay. I get it. And it's just so interesting about how both vampirism and where, what is it called? Werewolfism? Werewolf. It's always in German. Well, there's just a werewolfen or verwolfen, however you say it. But also like there must, I think there's an actual word for it. Uh, Oh, the loop? Yeah, no, but in, in like, actual lichenism. Yes, lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. So, it It only took us until I remembered all of the time I've spent watching Underworld. Yes. So, I think it's very interesting that she she makes both vampirism and lycanthropy uh, due to a virus. Mm -hmm. Right, but different viruses, but perhaps related? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe Honoria, who you may remember from the first book, is a scientist. We'll figure this out. But uh, anyway, it's it's just a very cool way to look at it. There are these things that we all know about. They're in popular culture, vampires, werewolves, whatever. But she does have a unique kind of cool take on it. So, And I think the specific psychology for Will of having a disease that is that transmittable Mm -hmm. 
gives him really unique motivations as a character. Yeah. And they lead to one of the biggest tropes of the book. Uh, one that Meg normally is really into. That, that's me, Meg. One that I'm normally really into. <laughs> Which is the virgin hero. Yeah, so not only is werewolfism legality, <laughs> an STD, STI, whatever we're calling it now, it's also like the littlest bit of blood. Yeah, anything. So blood like and semen, I guess, too. Well, like bodily, basically not saliva. Not saliva, but everything else. Go to town. And so, and, and it's poorly studied. Yeah. So blue bloods, because they're social elites, because they're the echelon, the highest echelon of society, like there's a degree to which, obviously, like they haven't found a cure yet, or have they, but a cure isn't known, but a ton has been studied. It's to the point now that like transmitting it becomes a part of a rite of passage. It's this big ceremony. Like the actual way you become a vampire is super well understood societally Mm -hmm. and werewolves have the exact opposite. They're historically disenfranchised people. Even the societies that still practice it are not super scientifically advanced. And so there isn't like, not only is it hyper contagious, it's also poorly understood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so he's basically kept himself away from everybody. Yep. And that's part of why, if you recall from the first book, Will was so conflicted about blade feeding from him. Yeah. Because it was literally a degree of physical closeness. Like he did not allow himself to have because of how contagious the loop is. He could be physically close to him. He also could, he got aroused because of course vampire spit apparently is like the greatest aphrodisiac ever. How Um, sexy. But also it was safe to do so. So he's like, okay, maybe I'm gay for blade and then we can have a relationship because I won't kill him. I yep. have sex with him. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately for him, Blade wasn't gay for him. So I was a little bit bummed that this book didn't go into that at all. Yeah, me too. I agree. This is all. So this is basically us thinking back and being like, oh, we get it. But this isn't yeah. brought up in this book. Right, like you just, it it gives you additional context reflecting on who Will's character was in the first book. It it really doesn't come up here at all. Yeah. So he's a virgin hero. Another of my favorite tropes is the the gentleman lessons. So Lena convinces Will, and he only gives in because, well, lots of plot reasons. But she has to teach him how to be a gentleman and how to, enter society so a lot of dancing lessons a lot of etiquette lessons how to drink tea how to you know whatever it's so much fun I love these stupid gentleman lessons they're so great well and they're great but they're especially great when it kind of gets put on its head in this like it does here where it becomes very apparent that the gentleman in question knows how to behave and is just choosing not to oh totally yep so good. Um, she literally says at one point she's hungry but not for food. Oh, so, yes. 
Oh my god, it cracked me up so much. Normally I'm I will a little, call that out every time. Normally I'm like, yeah, but here I was like, I I really feel like Beckman Messer was like, yeah, we're going there, you know. We're just- this was um, at the beginning of the finally several-page consummation sequence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Just lean in. We've been waiting. Spoiler alert, something Megan and I are really going to get into this episode. Like 400 pages for this. Yep. Lean in, girl. Do it. Do it all. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're hungry for not for food. I'm not sore. Like, do it all. Like, say it all for us. And You're you guys- too big and I'm just going to impale myself. Whatever. It's all there. It's all there, guys. Um, on a totally different note, I think what's really fun about Beckman's Master and these sci-fi romance novels or, or alternate universe romance novels that really get into an imagined reality mm-hmm. is sort of this reassessment of class conflict. Yeah. And so we've talked a lot in the first book about how Honoria and Lena and Charlie, their whole family, is in this unique place, having been on the outskirts of the echelon and now being in the underworld. And now Honoria married, like, the king vampire of the underworld. And Lena went back to be in high society. Mm-hmm. And in England, werewolves are still illegal. So Will is essentially a criminal just for being who he is. And this book builds on all of those class conflicts outlined in the first book by forcing Lena to acknowledge the degree to which she's play acting mm-hmm. outside of her class and forces Will to dress up and pretend to be upper class. Mm-hmm. And it's just that I always find that really, really, really fun. It's really fun. And I, I what I really like here too is it's not just like, rich poor whatever it's it's just made more obvious with the whole the rich people are vampires and they are literally sucking the blood of the lower class yep you know like maybe you don't need it to be that obvious but I kind of love it when it is you know oh same so I don't know I like it so what is this mated pairs lane Oh, so no, just I, you and I have talked before about like when a book hits you over the head with the idea that they're like soulmates mm-hmm. and they are not responsible for their behavior. And I think I put it in quotes because I think that was the language used in this book. Yeah, it is. Was, there's remember the when she's going through her transition. Yes. And, and all the, the other werewolves who have come to assist. Upon seeing the way Will's behaving, are basically like, oh my God, no, this is a werewolf who has found his mate. Like, get out of his way. away. And Honoria, of course, doesn't listen. And the way that is described is so fucking funny. It's Um, it's great. It's so funny. But no, that's, I I think whenever a book like has no chill and has to be like, oh, BT dubs, they're definitely soulmates. This does that. Totally, totally. And then... Then yes, I mean Will Will's orphaned in the worst possible way, but he has found his his new family, right? I mean, like he has literally been like the only werewolf he has known most of his life, and suddenly, not even his new family, but like he is told he needs to negotiate with a thriving pack of werewolves. Oh, this 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 leads to the it's not. It's not the it's not a bet, but it's a bargain. 
So we see this in several romance novels. We're like, okay, well, we're going to make this bargain for you. If you do this, then we'll make you a baron. If you do this, you can enter society. If you do this, I'll pay for your season. Your debts are forgiven. Right. And yep. so that's sort of this too, is he, the only reason he agrees to be an ambassador is because they promise that if he, if he does it the right way, that he will basically make it legal for werewolves to exist. And he will specifically be pardoned. Like, but the selfish reason wasn't enough for him. Like, he was like, you'll pardon me. Oh, fuck it. Whatever. You're not a real threat to me. And they're like, how about we make werewolves legal? (laughs) Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe that isn't more important. Yeah. So as you probably heard, we found that this book was really long. Oh, my God. It's so long, Meg. It was so long. It sets up a lot of plot, not just it sets for this up too book, much. I was so confused, but for like the next three books in the series, this is the book that sets it all up. And it reminded me only just now, it just reminded me of what you said about actually one of the Amelia Peabody books. Cause you're like, read it. Um, Cause you'll like it. But this book is the weakest because it sets up everything for the, for the rest the of the mummy it. case. The first yeah. book when she realized she was writing a series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that book was not 500 pages long though. No, 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 no. But I am saying that it, it's the same, the same concept here is that there's a lot of, a lot of setup that doesn't pay off in this specific book. And this book is really long. It's really long. It introduces too much. It does. The humanist stuff especially was. Yeah. Cause there are, there are humanists that, that Lena's like, okay. Or Lena, Lena's like, yeah, I, I agree with them. So I kind of want to support their cause, but then it turns out there are factions in the humanist cause and they're all, there's infighting and then they're plotting to do certain things. And you know, and then the echelon is plotting to do certain things. Like does the echelon actually want to have a, an agreement with the werewolves or do they want will to fail? I don't know, maybe. But then there's also, like, Lena as a debutante and not navigating the social circles within the echelon as an outsider. And then there's also the Scandinavian werewolf delegations we've been talking about. And then, so it's, and then there's all this stuff about the people who become mechs. Yes. Both within the, the humanist sex and outside of it. Like, it is too much. There are too many characters who literally are only introduced for like one chapter mm-hmm. in terms of the world building. This book does a lot of heavy lifting, but yeah. ultimately I feel like when I encounter some of these names again in the book where they actually show up in matter, I'm going to be like, wait, what the, who the fuck was this again? Who was this again? Yeah. Like it made, it made everything feel lower stakes because there were just too many high stakes things being thrown at there me. Are a lot of things. Yeah. Like what was the point of having the random person stalking Charlie who was even just written up? I was like, Oh, it was a random staff member who got some money to cut off a lock of his hair. Yeah. It's like, like literally there were so many pages spent on this and it is nothing like cut that. Yeah. Uh, so of all of the extra plot and extra description, I think what I liked the most were the insights you got into echelon society. So like, yeah, what, what is a thrall? Like we've heard thralls and thrall contracts and what it is, but you know, what exactly is it? And then what's a consort and what's marriage like to people actually get married. Right. One of the thing that, that I think is very interesting about this book is how the older blue bloods 
are all about following social conventions and there are certain protections for the humans who live in echelon society who are basically women. They're thralls is what they're called. But now the younger blue bloods are basically like, why should we follow these social conventions? We are predators. They are prey. And so the, the big thing here is of course, blood becomes the stand in for sex. So to ruin a debutante, you take her out on the balcony and you don't have a big makeout session. You suck her blood. Right. I thought that was interesting. I thought, I thought the distinction between when it is okay to have sex with someone versus when it is okay to suck their blood was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I found McMaster's choice to only have them violate the blood sucking part of it and not the sex part of it. Interesting. Yeah. Like I'm not sure if that was supposed to be a commentary on vampire priorities or if that was just her deciding that she didn't want to get into a plot of sexual violence. Either way, I think it was the right choice. Yes. I'm just intrigued by it. Yeah. No, I am too. And what it what it really interested me or what it really reminded me of too was uh Gail Carragher's or character, mm-hmm. I, I never know how to pronounce her name, but um, her world, her world, the parasol protectorate, where yep. the vampires are basically like the social mavens and the the fashion mavens, mm-hmm. and so all of the fashion, Victorian fashion, which is like very low necklines, um, you know, things like that, was because vampires like to see blood and stuff like that, and it's similar right. here. Like if you are showing your neck, it means you are available yep so wearing a necklace or wearing a high neckline means that you're taken Mm -hmm. or just not interested or just not interested and wearing gloves same thing you wear gloves because it covers up your wrist where they can drink your blood yep I don't know I liked that it was very I really did too Mm mm-hmm The hard part is, like, this world is super intriguing. There's just, like, literally 150 pages of this book where I was straight up bored. Yeah. And I don't know how to remedy it because, like, I'm looking forward to seeing the resolution of all of these plot points. Mm-hmm. But this was this was an information dump, not a story. There was a, There was a lot of it that wasn't story. Yeah, I agree. So actually, speaking to your point of how McMaster chooses not to have sexual violence, but prefers blood violence, physical violence. And like in one of the scenes, at least with one of Lena's friends, it's very violent. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the blood violence is like, oh, somebody's put under a spell and it's not very traumatic. Like, no, it's violent well that's the thing too like these vampires we talked about in the first our first um review these vampires don't have teeth to bite you like they use razors yeah or or knives so it's the there's not as much distance between the fact that you're actually getting violently attacked yep as with you know when a guy goes to kiss your 
wrist and comes up with the blood. I don't know. I'm just thinking of like vampire imagery, you know? Yep. But that, I was thinking of that because Lena had an experience. So she hasn't been raped, but when she was a young girl, she was cornered and forcibly made to give her blood Mm -hmm. to a vampire. Yes. And like we said, vampire saliva is like Spanish fly. And it makes you just, you know, basically get sexually aroused when you're getting your blood sucked. And so Mm -hmm. the guy corners her. He's like, you're going to like this. He cuts her, drinks her blood, and she does end up liking it. It has still she feels violated. She feels violated and it has still traumatized her to the point where she's gone to the echelon and she has realized that actually she can't give blood. Like she's so traumatized that she like she does not want to do it at all. I did I thought the can't had to do with the vaccination stuff from the first book. No. She was there was this one guy that she was thinking she might be interested in, and then she went to give blood with him and she freaked out. Right. I do remember that. Okay. Never mind. I'm thinking of something else. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's, I, I, and again, in every vampire story, in every vampire story ever from the beginning, drinking blood is having sex. Like it is a metaphor for sex. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. I thought it was, a, I thought it was a nuanced, interesting choice to have this here because you know even if you enjoy it in the moment it can still traumatize you later right and I also thought within the context of this universe with blood being explicitly currency Mm -hmm. it also it was a way to both get at the way traumatic experiences don't always like aren't always what you expect in the moment, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they're any less violating after the fact. Yes. But what he also did was take away the consent to what is effectively like a currency transaction in their society. Mm -hmm. So it's all of the different types of subjugation and violence like balled into one. Mm -hmm. But Anyway, so there were certain choices and certain parts of it that I was like, yeah, thumbs up. This was great. So there were parts of this book that I was really struck by. Right. They were just between several pages of information. Between like 50 pages of other information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about the word loop. (laughs) So this is a really ridiculous thing to get annoyed at. But loop with an E at the end, L-O-U-P-E, means magnifying glass in French. L-O-U-P means wolf. So uh, I don't care if they pronounce it loop, if they just spelled it without the E at the end. Because every time I saw it, I'd be like, magnifying glass? No. It's the wolf virus. (laughs) What Meg is saying with pronunciation is... L-O-U-P in French, the P is not as obvious as L-O-U-P-E. Yeah, the, the P is not pronounced in French. It's loop. Right. Whereas with so, the E at the end, it's loop. Right. And so I think what Meg is getting at is 
a lot of times British people mispronounce French words. And so because the British would want to pronounce the P, they're using the French spelling that would have the P pronounced. Mm-hmm. Even though that's not technically the same word. Yeah, it's not the same word. Just every time I got I got slightly confused and then I'd roll my eyes and be like, no, 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 that's what she meant. I did like, so something I did like was that mm-hmm. there were werewolf clans in England or in, on the British Isles, but they lived in yep. Scotland. They were the Scottish werewolfen clans that were and Will wiped is out. Scottish. Will is Scottish. And where were they wiped out? At Culloden. I don't know. I just love her little AU, her little alternate university universe. Her alternate universe history. I, I just really dig it. And it also gives you a little bit of historical romance. Scots are barbarians, right? Well, and Will is very much raw, earthy, in tune with, like, the violence of the moment and his raw power. So is that because he's a werewolf or because he's a scotch? Who knows? You know? Who knows? Probably both. Mm-hmm. I mean, why are the werewolves from Scotland? Just saying. It seemed like it was a Northern Europe thing because even all the visiting werewolf yeah. clans were Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, historically accurate, Scotland Vikings. was taken over by Vikings quite a few times and still has aisles with like significant Scandinavian heritage. Again, she did a great job with this. Like that, that's a perfect little thing. This book needed to be 150 pages shorter though. Like literally yeah. that significant. I'm not, uh, I'm not denying that. All right. Anything else you want to say before we get to, um, Content warning or, or offensiveness? Uh, no, I think I'm good. All right. Uh, so content warning, there's a lot of violence in this book. Yep. There's, so there's a lot of fighting. There's a, there's there's vampire fighting. There's werewolf fighting. There's humanist fighting. There's, there's a lot of vampires cutting women with blades without their consent because they're trying to get to their blood. Yes. Yeah. That said, I don't think there's any sexual violence. If we don't count, count blood as sex, the blood that said it is a metaphor. And I have to say, I prefer mm-hmm. that to like an actual rape every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So other than that, and the fact that I mean, the book is really, really long. Yeah. I think it's everything to do with. A lot of the things we know to be true in our society, we know to be true in historical romance society about the powerlessness of women, especially in terms of their legal recourse and what society perceives as their value. Like that is made very explicit here, especially mm-hmm. in the context of vampirism and blood giving. Yeah. Yep. That said, I would not call this a heavy book. No, no, I agree. Um, sexiness. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's, 
this book is totally weird. Yes. Because these two characters, like, want to have sex so bad. Mm -hmm. And she's super insecure because he's, like, always been avoiding her and very gruff with her. But she feels this, like, really powerful connection between them. Unbeknownst to her, he's just avoiding her because of how contagious the loop is. Which, first of all, how she doesn't fucking know that is beyond me. Mm -hmm. Well, no one knows that, apparently. But he knows. And uh, Honoria knows. So, like... I, I, that's what annoyed me the most is like, just tell her. Right. Or like, honestly, any innate curiosity on her, her part, like, I'm sorry, if I were obsessed with a werewolf, I'd be reading about it in my spare time. It's not like she does, she lives in a house with access to that information. It's not even like she'd have to use Google or whatever. Oh my God. But so <laughs> her lack of curiosity, I found very lame. Yeah. But, so she, first of all, like there's all of this pent up sexual tension and then they're forced to spend all this time together and like eventually they start caving and touching and whatever. And then he's like violently wrenching himself away from her. And then all, there's all this emotional trauma because she gets sick at one point. Yeah. And ultimately, like when they hook up, like it's objectively sexy. But it also sort of seems to come out of nowhere. It's like. This one thing happens, and while I get that it does resolve the conflict, the fact that the characters, in spite of the fact that she recovered from dying, like, 20 minutes ago, just immediately jump each other's bones and start doing it six ways till Sunday. Yeah. Like, it felt, it, it the fact that all of their romantic stuff was so abrupt and breakneck when there was hundreds of pages of filler in this book. And filler is the wrong word. Like, hundreds of pages of exposition. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, I don't, I can't. My my head's going to fall off. It's whirling in a circle. Like, Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, there's this scene where they are intimate, but he does not have sex with her. There's no mm-hmm. penetrative sex. And it is, mm-hmm. like, so sexy. And you're like, why didn't you do that 100 pages ago? Right. It would have made more sense to me. Honestly, a book where they were working together to be intimate without sex would have been much more fun. Well, exactly. If he was like, I know we're really into each other. And he told her, like, we we cannot actually have sex because I would infect you and I would feel horrible about it. And the fact that she was just like, okay, so it's just this one time then and we are death breaking up. I was like, wait, do condoms not exist in this universe? Like, who knows if they do or not? But they did in real Victorian times. Like, birth no. control existed. So, like. They have to exist. But maybe Verwolfen semen is like, he, he maybe he's like too nervous. Okay. W- once again, fine. The fact that she just accepts it at face value. Yeah. Like, oh, I guess this means this is the last time I'll ever see you. Like, wait, what? What? Yes. And that's where, like, I'm not saying the scenes where they hook up aren't sexy. They're very sexy. They're extremely sexy. It's just that I didn't necessarily feel like they were an organic payoff. Can I point out just one thing that I thought was so weird? So she gets this gigantic shard of glass. So, okay. Spoiler alert. She becomes... A werewolf. She becomes a verwolfen. I, I don't. I honestly don't think that's much of a spoiler because you, you know, like this is a book about falling in love with a werewolf. She's gonna be a werewolf. Sure. 
Um, and Verwolfen are like, they have this berserker rage and they're super strong and all this stuff. So she wakes up as a werewolf one day. She yeah. grabs a glass. She's like, I'm thirsty. And so she grabs a glass of water and like pours it down her mug because she's, you know, a barbarian now. And she breaks the glass in her hand yeah. because she doesn't know her own strength. And there's this, she's yeah. like, oh, she's like, my hand kind of hurts a little bit. And he's like, what, Lena? You're so this gigantic shard of glass in your hand. And she's like, what do I do? And she looks over and, you know, it's like half the glass is embedded in her hand. And she, she's like, oh, whatever. She takes out and she's like, I'm good. You know? Yeah. Then they go to have sex. And it's like so painful and i'm like really you're a werewolf now girl right you're a werewolf like, you can take werewolf fact, unless something is real different about werewolf penises there aren't um knife blade sharp edges on them it, it's like really painful and i'm like it wasn't this painful for honoria you know right i i don't understand i've never really understood this emphasis uh, on the pain of losing your virginity in the, historical the romances anyway, but especially here with an incredibly high pain tolerance, the fact that she doesn't realize she has half a glass stuck in her hand. Exactly. I was just like, mm, you know, I could have done without it. That said, the sex is very hot. It just... Um, like, this is not a situation where the, the plot made it difficult to find the sex sexy. The sex was sexy. Mm-hmm. I'm not criticizing the sexiness of the scenes themselves on any level. It is. They worked. It, it's when it takes place, for me. Yes. I, I 100% agree with you, because it, he literally spends 75% of the books, like, trying to avoid her and like they kiss and then he's like no I can't kiss you and he runs away like literally 75% and then all of a sudden like switch is flipped and they just fuck all the time yeah and it's so good these books are very sexy Mm -hmm. like as a series I just I wish that the relationship did not feel as interrupted by the other stuff going on in the plot. Yeah. It's it's actually really funny because, like I said at the beginning, Virgin Hero is one of my favorite tropes. And this was my second time reading this book. Mm-hmm. And I did not even remember that he was a Virgin Hero. Yeah. I think there was just two, there's just there's just a lot going on in this book. There are really cool things and good parts. Yeah. But it's not like super memorable. It's interesting though cuz I think a lot of So in a, in a standard historical romance that isn't a, an alternate universe, you kind of have two reasons for staying a virgin as a man, right? And we can get into the differences with female virgin heroes, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast before. You're basically either morally choosing 
to not have sex. And usually it's not about the sanctity of marriage. Usually it's about not disrespecting women, not using women, recognizing power and balance, all of that stuff. Or the flip side is you have like the guy who is so socially awkward that it's never like just talking to girls is too hard for them, let alone having sex. Mm -hmm. Those are sort of the two reasons. And because in Will's case, He's, like, not immortal, but, like, very old, supernatural being who knew if he had sex with a human woman, he'd probably kill her and never knew a werewolf woman. And the only vampire women who exist are in the echelon where he is a wanted criminal. Like, in his case, it really, truly sort of is just, like, a lack of opportunity. Yeah. Not a conscious choice he's made. In a way, That's like true. he's made not to kill a human woman, which like good job, bare minimum romantic. Bare hero. minimum, right? But like the choice he has made is not about sex. That's true. It's That's about true. not murdering women. And I think that like maybe makes it a little different than your traditional virgin hero trope. Maybe, maybe that's why. I don't know. You like the moral one, and this wasn't a moral choice, except in the extent that murder is wrong. I mean, it's a moral choice because murder is wrong. Beckman Master wrote a different virgin hero who basically, that's the reason he didn't have sex, was because his magic would kill her. I, I love, love that one. I'm sorry. In all seriousness, in these like sci-fi books, or like AU, or whatever, what's the fantasy, I love the could-fuck-to-death trope. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, the concern is I will kill you with my dick in one way or another. Yeah. Like, yep, 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 yep. I get hours of entertainment out of that, so. Oh, yeah. He's like, my, my magic is sex ma- is, is death magic, and I'm afraid that if I experience the ultimate pleasure, I would also want to stop But did you heart think that was magic. a virgin hero book? Yeah. Do you remember that being a virgin hero book? Okay. 100%. Yeah, then I wonder why you don't really... Will doesn't strike you that way. Well, I think he does. I don't think there's enough emphasis on it. Because you don't find out that he's a virgin until, like, later. Until... I mean... sad breakup sex scene. Right. And, I mean, I guess you could, like, logically extrapolate, but... I don't know. But, like, you found out it was a virgin hero really late in... The Duke of that? No. The most recent part, the Duke who didn't. Mm-hmm. And you still love that one as a virgin hero trope. I, I, I think it has to do, I also think it has to do with how the, the heroine reacts. Mm. She didn't seem to care. She was like, oh, okay, I guess you're a virgin. She, she viewed it more as like a, that is a side effect of being a werewolf I had not thought about. Mm-hmm. Not as anything tied into his identity, which I actually kind of like. That's fine, but like I'm not I'm not knocking what you like, but <laughs> for example, no, in I'm the, saying I always I think I always like when the sex trope is your sexual past is not tied into your identity. Okay, so like okay, the death sex guy who didn't want to have sex because he was afraid he would kill her with his death yeah. magic. The heroine literally is like she does the the 
the historical romance hero thing, which is, oh, I'm so glad I'm the only one who gets to know him like this. And I was just like, yes. Well, that happens in this book. But, like, but Lena is also a virgin. Yes, but Lena says, I'm so glad I'm the only woman who will ever know you this way. Yeah. I, I, look, I don't know, Lane. I don't know what my deal is. This should okay. be, I should love this. And I'm just like, whatever, virgin hero. Which is so not like you. Exactly. That's I'm questioning myself here. Yeah. And it should be compounded, right? Because Will's like 60, 70 something. Something like that. How many years of celibacy? A lot. A billion? (laughs) A billion? Minimum. A billion? It should be compounded. He should somehow be like a double virgin. You would, again, you would think. You would think. And yet. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. But what can I say? I mean, bottom line is if you're enjoying the series, I recommend this book. Look, I I think the series is great. Uh, I, I think that you should read the series. And this is the weakest link in the series. But you can't, you won't understand the rest of it without this one. Right, it's the weakest link because this is the one that they dump all the exposition into. A.K.A. you need to read it to read the exactly. rest of the Exactly, exactly. So I, I can't not recommend the book. I guess it's more of a caveat, FYI, this is a really long, some boring parts, but the series in itself is great, and there are really, really cool, interesting parts of this book. Yeah, and it's it's worth it to get through. It's just a commitment that you're maybe not expecting. Yeah, you need to make sure, you know, you need to know what you're getting into. It took me like a week. I just couldn't. Normally, Lane's finished these, these books in, like, two days. Well, because I usually leave them till the last minute, and I'm finishing, like, everything we're recording on Sunday night starting on Friday. And with this one, like, there was no way. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. 